Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to Game Store Profits. This is episode 94, where we talk about playing board games and all of the cool stuff that can happen when you do. My name's Luke Navarro. And my name is Mike Perna. Hey, Mike. Hey, Luke. It's raining. I have weather. You have actual, honest-to-goodness weather? Weather. It's raining a little tiny bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even going to talk about the fact that I have, like, five-degree weather outside. Yeah, that's for vacations. <laughs> uh, bad vacations, for that matter. So, man, uh, you know what? I feel like we, we just chatted. Uh, you want, you, you want know, to know why? That's because we just did. Yeah, so we recorded this thing. Uh, uh, folks who have listened to the last episode know uh, that one ran not just a little bit late. We cut that one down to the wire, as in recording six hours before it went live or something I, I have, like I that. Have never, I have never turned and burned so quickly on one of our podcasts. So we, we've only got a, a week, uh, less than a week, a couple of days of gameplay uh, to talk about in our, you know, opening segment, segment what we've been playing kind of thing. So I, I played a couple of games this week, two of which I'm not sure if we've talked about on the show. One, I know we haven't, so I'll leave that one for last. Okay. Uh, so the first game is Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Now, I know we've, we've mentioned it a lot on the show, but did we ever discuss this game on the show? We did talk about it. We talked about it on the Christmas wish list one because it was on my list. Okay, yeah, so we mentioned it, but we haven't, you know, talked about actual plays. So I actually played this game a long time ago, like nine months ago. Uh, I played kind of the before-it-was-released version you know, where Ted Osbach taught me how to play. And uh, then, I, so just yesterday, uh, I got to play the, you know, complete full-out version. And really, they weren't that different. Uh, just a couple little a little things that just cleared things up a little bit, made things a little bit simpler. But Castles of Mad King Lodig is a tile-laying game in which each player is building a castle. And... The game that is most compared to is, of course, Suburbia. It's, again, by the same designer as Suburbia. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like a sequel or, or something like that. It's more just in the same family. In the same way that, say, Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert are in the same family as Pandemic. So uh, you, you're building your castle. The, the major differences between this game and Suburbia are, one... You only pay attention to your castle. Uh, a lot of folks, myself included, um, kind of dock suburbia a little bit because there's so many things to keep track of. You know, when you build a restaurant, you have to go look around to see if anybody else has a farm or another restaurant. It's just, it's a lot of fiddly little things, and you almost always miss stuff during the gameplay. In castles, you are only focusing on your castle. It's even then, it's possible to miss stuff, but it's a lot easier to manage. And then the second major difference is the master builder mechanic, which I'll get to in a second. So the game plays, uh, there are eight, I think eight, rooms available at any given time. They are ranked in terms of price, and we'll talk about how those get ranked, but as your turn goes around, you can purchase one of those rooms, you can attach it to your uh, castle. Uh, you can only attach it 
door to door. You can't just put things willy nilly. You get points for playing the room. You'll get points for completing a room, and what that means is connecting something to all of the available doors. And you may also get points for some certain victory point conditions that happen within each given room. What makes it interesting is that on any turn, one of the players is called the Master Builder. What the Master Builder does is set all of the pricing for the buildings. So basically, the prices are set, but you are moving the buildings around to determine which buildings are what price. And when a player buys one of those buildings, their money does not go to the bank, it goes to the master builder. So I'll give you a real simple example. I was the first master builder uh, in the game that we played, first turn. Well, there are uh, certain tiles, they're called the, the... Dungeon tiles, basement tiles. They can only be played in a basement. Well, you can't have a basement until you have stairs that go down to the basement. And obviously, because it was the first turn of the game, no one could have had those stairs yet. So I placed the basement tiles as the cheapest to buy, because nobody could buy them. So I forced everybody to spend more on whatever building they wanted, which in turn gave me more money. So uh, the the real gameplay in the game is as the master builder trying to put the buildings in place so that you entice players to buy them. They give you money, but you know that they're going to be getting victory points. And the way you get victory points, very similar to Suburbia, is that there are four global victory point conditions, and those are random determined at the beginning of the game. And then you can draw private victory point conditions along the way. Um, This is not my favorite kind of game because it is a little bit fiddly. It's a good game, just not my kind of game. Um, I will say, though, that it is way better than Suburbia. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, Suburbia doesn't need to exist anymore. It's been replaced uh, by castles. And The best thing about this game, though, is that you are building this cool little castle. You get it in like a top-down, I don't know, almost blueprinty kind of a way. And uh, at the end, you get this cool little castle, and it looks great. And maybe some person's castle is just ridiculous. You know, it's just like a whole bunch of outdoor space everywhere, and there's no bedroom or kitchen, you know. And none of that matters. You're just building... You don't have to build anything in particular. But, you know, a solid game, just not my kind of thing, because it's, you know, my brain stops keeping track of things at about three. And, (laughs) you know, that's... It sounds uh, like it's significantly more than three. Yes, it is. So, now, you mentioned that uh, this was on your wish list. Is this... Now we're, what, a month month and a half from Christmas. Is this still a game that you'd be interested in picking up? Oh yeah, I, I am fascinated by it. I think it's fun, just the the building the castle element. The By the time the game is done, even if you lose, you can go, oh look at that cool castle I made! So I, I like that part and, and the whole master builder thing really makes it, it it's a nice little bit of a mind game for me. Like I love that, that notion of finding that middle ground where you don't, because what you didn't mention was is that as the master builder, you're required to buy what's left. So well, you, you don't. You, you're the last person to buy, right? Which means, basically, if you make everything super expensive, and 
only a handful of crappy, useless things cheap, then you could get stuck with a really expensive piece to put into your castle. Right. So it's it's finding that middle ground, and I like like that. That's fun. Yeah, you know, and I don't know of I can't think offhand of another game that has that kind of a mechanic where one player is setting prices and the players are paying him on the turn. You know, I guess there in some senses there like a game like say Sheriff of Nottingham where the money's going to the sheriff and that but but it's still not the same. You know, I think it was a very innovative kind of a thing and uh really added I mean, it makes the game. It really does. Well, the only thing I can contribute to the whole what we've been playing thing, uh, I have one thing I can look forward to. I can say that I had to dig out my D&D character sheet because uh, I the groups that I normally play with, I have not been able to play with them since November because the holidays being what the holidays are. However, I can say that I'm going to be playing that tomorrow. But the only, only thing I can think of is the fact that uh, a while back... The Humble Bundle was all card games. It was all digital renditions of card games. So, of course, I picked up Star Realms for my PC. And mm-hmm. and, and among the among the other stuff, the, well, I might as well get it because it's part of the bundle anyway, is a digital rendition of the game Talisman. Oh, yeah. I've seen that on Steam a lot. I want somebody to explain to me how Talisman is fun. <laughs> I, I've I've tried. I have played both the prologue that I got and the regular version that I got, and I I honestly don't know where the fun is. Now, there's the in the, in the world of actual board gaming, there's talisman and there's I forget what the the Warhammer. There's one that's set in the Warhammer universe, relic I think or something like that. It's called. But, oh my goodness, I, I have never played such a dull game in a really long time. So what you're basically doing is you're rolling dice and moving that number of spaces. Now, depending on where you land, you'll either have to roll dice again to see what happens, or you draw a card, and then you do what's on the card. Now, that can be either you pick up a friend... That could be you find an item, or it can be a monster that you have to fight. And you want to know how you fight monsters? You roll a die again. So, let me back the truck up about 20 years. Yeah. So, what we need to mention is that Talisman is actually a reprint. Or a further edition of a really old, like, early 80s board game. Okay? Yes. It is. And it plays like an early 80s like board game. Like an early game. 80s board game. Yes, it <laughs> Made does. by Milton Bradley. Uh, though it actually uh, is Games Workshop. Um, it always has been. Yes. Hence why they can do the forty, the Warhammer 40K version. Right. And so... But yeah, it, it's it's totally a roll and move game. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, it's so horrible. But I, this is a game that exists right now. And because people have the memory of it. I, I, it must be like I'm, I'm playing this, and I, I understood that it's been around for a long time. It's been around since I was a kid, and and I get that. And probably if somebody had given to me a copy of this game when I was a kid, I'd probably have fonder memories of it. To this day, I have fond memories of Hero Quest. That while Hero Quest was a fun game, it was clearly 
that time. And there's been other stuff that's come by afterwards that have made better usage of that kind of mechanic. So I get the nostalgia factor. But I I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that I was looking at it from, you know, a nostalgia-free zone. I, I, I gave it, like, three hours. I gave it an honest shot. I said, show me something neat. Show me a cool mechanic. And... I've yet to find any. If you're listening to this right now and Talisman is your jam, please comment or email me because I want to know what it is. Because I, I have nothing. I have nothing. I, I, I have completely written this game off. <laughs> so I would like to just point out, just as a moment in history for our listeners... We did just pan a fantasy flight game. We can do that. It's possible. It is possible. Doesn't happen often. Nobody's perfect. But it is possible. So, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's an old game. It, I, you know, it, to me, it's Snoopy in the Red Baron. Okay, let me explain. Long time ago, on a system that may have been an Atari, or perhaps <laughs> a Nintendo, I don't remember... But there was a video game called Snoopy and the Red Baron, in which you flew as Snoopy on top of his red doghouse and fought planes, biplanes that probably looked a whole lot like the biplanes in uh, Attack, is that the name of the game? The tank war game from way back when? Oh my uh, goodness, wow. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but at the time, as a child, I swore that I was flying that doghouse. And it was the most realistic, most amazing thing ever. And then, sometime in my mid-twenties, I downloaded the ROM and played it in emulation. And it sucked really bad. <laughs> so here's the thing, folks. It caused my eyes to bleed. Just don't do that. Just enjoy your memories. They're good memories. They're happy memories. Make new memories now. Don't try to redo your old memories. It's not a good situation. It never works out as well as you'd hope. Some things are fixed points in time and space, and you should, just shouldn't try to mess with them. Did you just make a Doctor Who reference? We I, have really... Well, there hasn't been much. We're gearing up for episode 100 is what we're doing. <laughs> yes, we are. So, the other another game I played, which I am fairly sure we've never talked about, but it's so surprising that we've never talked about it, I must be wrong. And that is Seven Wonders. You know, we haven't. We haven't ever talked about Seven Wonders, and that is weird. I think it's just because of the fact that I know I don't own it. I don't like it. So here, Seven Wonders is a board game group staple. Like any board game group anywhere, somebody will have Seven Wonders. People like play Seven Wonders at work, at lunch. It's just a very popular game. And uh, so it's a civilization-building game in which you are drafting... Uh, cards that represent buildings that will either give you resources or victory points or military strength or science. And you are building those, drafting those cards, getting those resources, building wonders as well, which you each play as a unique civilization. 
and uh, have unique wonders. Um, and uh, you play uh, through, by the time you get to the third era, the final era of the game, you are now playing uh, cards that are more like victory point uh, conditions, where uh, you're looking at things even your neighbors are doing, and uh, what you're doing, and trying to get victory points from that. The tricky bit is, you only interact with the person to your right and to your left. You have military conflicts with the person from the right and to the left, you can purchase resources from the person right and the left. Everybody else is completely meaningless to you. And then at the end of the game, there is a very large process by which you try to add up victory points, but can't because your brain boils over. <laughs> apparently there's an app, which they used to score yesterday, and it made it much more pleasant. There are, I think, three expansions to the game. We played with the Leaders expansion. What the Leaders expansion does is at the beginning of the game, you draft leaders. You play one of those leaders every era. There are, again, three eras in the game. And the leaders kind of function a little bit like some of those third era cards where they may give you just a bunch of power or they may give you victory point conditions. Uh, and so you, it's, uh, you, you can play those throughout the game and that way you can start building your victory point engine a little bit earlier. This is a game that, uh, for me, has too many things going on. It plays extremely quickly because it's this dra- because it's the drafting mechanic. You could probably play the whole game in fifteen minutes. And you know what it is? This is a game built for people who play this game a lot. <laughs> it's not newbie friendly, but it's the kind of game where you could. Uh, you it's a game with a huge amount of replay value. Like, you could just keep going and keep going and keep going, and especially with the expansions, because they keep adding new civilizations and new cards and new buildings. But for the new player jumping in, and maybe it's just because the game's been out a long time, and the people that I happen to be playing with are those people who've played it a ton of times and know every building and know every strategy. For me, I always feel dumb. I feel lost and confused and just generally lame. And that's not a fun feeling to have when you're playing a board game. That said, didn't lose, which is like a miracle, because I typically lose when playing <laughs> Seven Wonders. Yeah, I couldn't tell you the last time I actually got my hands on Seven Wonders. I, Like I said, I don't own it. I, I currently have a draft game that I like a lot in Seasons, so I've never really felt compelled to go out and get Seven Wonders. Uh, I know they recently came out with a newer expansion, the Babel expansion, that adds a whole bunch of other stuff to it but yeah I don't, I don't know it's just kind of a meh game to me though I will acknowledge that it's it's one of those games that everyone points to that should be in a collection right it's uh, you know it, it, it's uh, standard I guess is a good way to say it and uh, <laughs> wow I feel like this is a super downer episode we've just been down on a whole bunch of things like and you know We've destroyed people's childhood memories. <laughs> I don't. Uh, no, 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 no. I don't think anyone has fond memories of Talisman. I think they have memories of enduring Talisman. Somebody must, because they sell it a lot. You know, four four editions. Fantasy Flight's got like I don't know six expansions or something for it. People I, must enjoy the game. I guess somewhere in a cave somewhere. Play Descent. There you go. Be happy. All right. Uh, so a game that I know we haven't discussed 
we've mentioned, but I know we haven't discussed it. And I know we haven't discussed it because I bought it like yesterday. And that is King of New York. You have King of New York. I do. Tell me what you think of King of New York. Well, let's describe what King of New York is. King we of New York, you are. it is a kaiju board game. It's kaiju Yahtzee. It's kaiju Yahtzee. There you go. Uh, you, we are, you are playing as giant monsters who are smashing their way around New York in an attempt to be the king of monsters in New York. That's the name. And you're right, it does use a Yahtzee mechanic, but the basic functionality of the game is there is a, a main island, Manhattan. And monsters in Manhattan uh, are battling against all of the monsters in all of the other boroughs. Probably not all of the other boroughs. I don't know how many boroughs there are in New York. But in several other boroughs that are surrounding Manhattan. And uh, you are awesome and great if you are in Manhattan and you get victory points and cool things happen to you. But everybody on the outside pounds on you while you're in Manhattan. The uh, inverse of that is, every time you do damage in Manhattan, you pound on everybody. And you uh, do this in such a way that you are trying to gain 20 victory points, which I have never, ever seen happen in a game of King of New York, or a game of King of Tokyo, for that matter. Most likely, you're going to just kill everybody else and become the last monster standing, and thus the king of the monsters. Now, King of Tokyo is, again, it's one of those standards, right? Um, this game plays very similar to King of Tokyo. Uh, the differences are that uh, rather than just being in or out of Tokyo or Manhattan, uh, you on the outside are now playing on uh, these different boroughs and uh these boroughs are now occupied by buildings. And so <laughs> and you the get military. to well and so you get to go play rampage. Uh so you the dice now include uh, a face for buildings and you can roll those and smash up buildings and you when you smash up buildings you might get victory points, you might get health or you might get power. Power is used by uh power-ups. And when you smash a building, the humans don't like it. And so they send out military to fight back. There's also a new face on the die that uh, it's the, the ouchie face. And when you roll ouchies, all of the little tanks and Humvees and jets and jeeps or motorcycles, I can't remember what they all are, but they all go shooty-shooty and shoot at you. And sometimes they shoot at you and your fellow monster. Sometimes they shoot at everybody. Uh, sometimes you can fight... Uh, so you can fight uh, the military. You can fight buildings. You can fight the your fellow monsters. All the while trying to maintain your health. Earn victory points that you're never going to get to. So don't even bother trying to earn the victory points. And... <laughs> Getting cool power-ups like laser arms and, you know, super long extendo necks and fireball powers and cool stuff like that. And yes, I was playing as the Robo 
dinosaur, because, yeah. Because why uh, wouldn't you? There you go. So, King of New York. I guess the obvious question is, is how does it compare to King of Tokyo? Well, I, I would like your opinion on that, because from what I've heard, like, when, when Gen Con happened, they sold out of King of New York before they opened the doors. <laughs> and that's not hyperbole, that's not, you know, hyping it up. They literally sold out day one before they opened the doors. So, part of me wanted to be like, wow, this must be really awesome, right? Because I love King of Tokyo. When I actually looked at the game, though, I found myself wondering, you know, like, uh, do I really need King of New York if I have King of Tokyo? Now, granted, if I didn't have King of Tokyo, I would, I, be, do not. I would be jumping on King of New York because I, I personally do like the whole buildings and, and the fact that you're never out, like fully outside of the city. Like I, I like that. I, I think if I had to have the two of them in front of me, I would pick King of New York. But for me personally, there really wasn't any kind of great selling point that says, by the way, you have King of Tokyo with expansions and cool stuff happening here. Get rid of that nonsense to get this one, which is virtually the same. So, a uh, couple things to respond to that. All of the expansions in King of Tokyo work for King of New York. Okay. So you can use those expansions if you like. But no, I wouldn't. I would not have both in my collection. Would I upgrade? I doubt it. Maybe if I got really good deals, but, you know, you're never going to be able to sell King of Tokyo now. It's impossible now. Now, about the two games... I would actually say that King of Tokyo has a place. Because King of Tokyo is so easy to pick up and play. You could have a person who's absolutely never played a hobby board game ever in their life, and they will pick up what King of Tokyo is about and be able to play and probably win. (laughs) It's happened more than once. That is not the case with King of New York. Because there are two or three more things going on, it just no longer has that that pure simplicity. That being said, if you're a regular gamer, you know, you play games every week, maybe every month, eventually King of Tokyo doesn't have enough for you. That's why there are a ton of expansions. I almost think this could have been... It couldn't because the dice are different. And because the dice are different and the board is different, yes, it warrants an entire new thing, but you, you almost can think of this as an expansion. You know, it's it's the same game, it's just more complex. Uh, it's just adding more to it. And so, I think for gamer gamers, if you want to play with them and you play with them more often, King of New York. If you most often play with, like, your second cousin who's there visiting and... The dude down the street who, you know, hasn't played a game since uh, Operation King of Tokyo is probably still the way to go. Well, there we go. So, we uh, don't have a whole ton to discuss this week because, you know, there's only been a couple of days of news. However, I've heard some rumblings on the interwebs about an event that, you know, we're going to be involved in. Or by we, I mean you. (laughs) 
And, uh, you know, there's some convention that happens somewhere over in the middle of the country. I don't know where it is. Some Something in Indianapolis. And, uh, you know, people are annoyed because they can't seem to get a hotel room. Even completely revamping the system. When it... Oh my goodness. It was insane. I, I'm very thankful that my living accommodations while in the in the Indianapolis area for Gen Con have been taken care of. I I'm very thankful because holy cow was there a mad rush. And this was even because they, they kinda went with a once you buy your badge that'll give you a time that you'll you're able to get the hotel room. And they thought, oh yeah, this will totally, you know, quit the whole mad rush thing. That'll it'll calm that down Everyone will be able to get in a hotel room at a you know reasonable distance from the the convention center. It'll be fine. No, no, it wasn't because they were still all those people who got the first opportunities to buy tickets. The hotel was the hotels were completely sold out within probably two hours. Now, granted, to their credit, it took like twenty minutes last year. So the fact that it took a couple of hours this year is saying something, but no, yeah, it, that city is completely, that, if you're looking for a hotel for Gen Con, I hope you know a guy, because it's not going to happen. Yeah, you should get your hotel through REI. The camping store? Camping store, absolutely. Yeah. Buy a tent, you'll be good to go. So, you know, the scuttlebutt is that there will be a lot of people who want to go to Gen Con but don't because they can't find a room. Now, that being said, it just means that there's more people going to Gen Con that Gen Con can hold. Right. Essentially. That's what it means. So, you're going to Gen Con for your second year? Third year? Third year. Third year. Second year as the the inroads guy, but okay. third year total. How does this does this at all color your planning, your experience, what you're expecting to have happen, both for you and for inroads uh, at Gen Con this year? No. Honestly, because I've, I've already gone in expecting it. Because, like I said, last year, the accommodations within like 10, 10 15 minutes were completely sold out. As it stood, I think our our hotel room that we stayed in like we ha- I'm I'm very thankful that cars were involved in getting to Gen Con because otherwise we'd have been in a lot of trouble. We were a, a handful of miles away from the downtown area just because it was the only hotels that still had rooms. And even then they were on, you know, very limited quantity. So this isn't new. In fact, part of the reason why the internet exploded was because of the fact that Everyone and their uncle was like, yep, Gen Con's being Gen Con again. I, I think that's just part of the problem that's always going to be there. When you have, like, last year it was 56,000 people, and that was a record. This year, now granted, they, they're still getting people, and they will still be letting people buy tickets right up until the event itself. So the numbers, there's no definitive number floating around. But according to all the little emails I've been getting... There are more people signed up already now than there were this time last year. So it's, I wouldn't be surprised if they told me that this year they're setting yet another record for attendance. You know, it's just, you can only cram so many people in a room. 
and they're going to max it out. They're going to try and put as many people in that room as possible. So tell me, uh, you know, we don't talk about conventions very often other than when we're going to them, but we don't talk about the concept of conventions that much. The The fact that there is this massive run on Gen Con in particular, but, um, you know, probably BGG Con as well. Um, what do you think that says about the hobby and the people who are involved in the hobby. Why do people so much want to go to these events? What is the draw of the event that people are willing to A, spend the money and B, the logistics to get to uh, Gen Con in particular? Well, I, I will say that it depends on what con it is. And that does sound like a little bit of a cop-out, but it's true. If you're going to Gen Con, you want to get things that people can't get yet. I mean, that's that's the long and the short of it. You want to see things that people haven't seen. You want to get things that people can't get. So these are people who are like the high priests of the cult of the new. Oh, yeah. They're, to, in case you don't know, if you're either new to the hobby or just don't go to conventions, I'll give you a little bit of an insight as to the, the, the Gen Con mentality. Um, Gen Con has offered, it's been going longer than I've been going there, but it's apparently been going for quite a while. They offer something that's referred to as the Very Important Gamer Program. Now, to be a VIG, what you need to do is pay Gen Con like $600. What that allows you to do is to get into the dealer hall before they open the doors. That's why that, when I mentioned King of Tokyo selling out before the doors opened, VIGs were most of that. So, you have to pay to get in the doors to buy things. And this is in addition to the fact that you've already paid. You've already paid for your badge. You've already paid for your hotel room. Now, I don't fault them for doing that because people are apparently willing to do that in droves. So, anything that will let a con actually make money, I support that. Uh, but, but it just gives you that mentality you're there at Gen Con to get your hands on on brand new, not even hitting the shelf yet, stuff. Okay, so let me back it up a little bit because I want to tell you what my experience has been at conventions like this. These are land speculators. <laughs> okay. You know, I very often run into board game or, you know, uh, I was a a toy collector for a long time before I had children and expenses. Um, and, you know, there's a big speculation uh, kind of a vibe to the toy collecting hobby. And I, 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 I really do think that some of these folks are, and I have not been there, so I, I don't have evidence, but they are folks who are buying to resell on eBay for twice face value. Oh, oh, I I don't even have to assume that. I can promise you that. And there's usually one or two games that you can identify really quickly that will be that game. There was the time when I watched as... I like to hang back. The first year I went to Gen Con, I did have to you know wait until they opened the doors and everything like that. So I, I didn't want to be in the 
crashing waves of humanity trying to push my way in. So I just kind of hung back and waited. And eventually, as the crowd thinned and as the people started dispersing within the dealer hall, I got to the door. Now, this was the year, the, the, this first year that I was there was the year that Firefly the game came out. Right, I remember. And when Firefly came out, they were saying, oh yeah, there's a con exclusive, there's a, a, a little figure that you can only get if you're at Gen Con. So here's the combination. You have a brand new game that's a very popular IP, and it's got a con exclusive. I saw people, by the time I had reached those doors, I saw people with three, four, and five copies of that game coming out. And that night, if you went on on your computer and looked at eBay, most of them were up for sale. So so there's obviously that, but I mean, you know, of those 56,000 people, you know, 1,000, 2,000 maybe, are the speculators who are there to make money. Right. Now, that means there's 50,000 plus, probably this year, maybe 70,000 plus, that are going for a secondary reason. What, is it still because they want to get the new games? They just know they can't get the super hotness? They can just get the hotness? With, with Gen Con, I think it's the shopping. Because, okay. honestly, the way Gen Con is set up, you can game. You're clearly able to game. But... In my experience, it's hard. There's a lot of panels. There's a lot of... The the dealer hall is always going to be the main draw. There's stuff going on, but it's not the main focus. If, I've often heard from other, other people I've talked to that if you want to be playing games, you want to go to stuff like Origins or BGG or Dice Tower Con. Right. Because in those... those there are or people... Or Con, folks, if you happen to live in the West Coast and, uh, you know... There you go. I'll be there playing with you. There in those cons, there are people selling things, but you're mostly there to play. And in, in those, I haven't been to any of those medium-sized ones yet, so I can't say in that regard. But pretty much, from what I've heard, is that Gen Con is there. Gen Con is a trade show for hobby gaming. Now, as as great as the shopping is, as great as the experience is, uh, I love talking to people at Gen Con. Uh, I will say that probably Gen Con and any con whatsoever, a big, huge portion of what what people love to do is to see these people that they don't get to see otherwise. Because everyone kind of converges on the, from all over the country, if not all over the world, converges on Indianapolis for Gen Con. And so, like, Derek White, I the only time I get to see Derek is at Gen Con. So I, I look forward to that. And that, that list of people has grown. I'm very excited because uh, I'm already talking to the fact that Marty Connell and I are going to throw down sometime because he's going to be, he and the family are going to be at Gen Con. Uh, there's other other people that I know either through Twitter or through interviews or through whatever uh, that are going to be there. And I'm I'm now joining that crew that says, I can't wait to get to Gen Con and see these people I've been talking with over the internet, and see these people that I've made friends with in the past, who will be here again in this one location, and we actually get to see each other and hang out. And I'm so looking forward to that. See, this makes a lot of sense to me. Can I, can I do a old gamer segment here? 
<laughs> I wish we had some kind of theme song for your old gamer segment. Right. Yeah, go for it. So when I started gaming, there was no Cult of the New. Because there wasn't all that much new. Because there wasn't all that much new, but more than that, there was no accessibility. Right. You had what your local game store had, and that's freaking it. <laughs> okay? Um, so what were the effects of that? Well, one, games tended to be have bigger communities. There were less games, so more people played. Uh, each game had more of the mind share, so to speak. And so when we got together, whether it was the super local, like, you know, at the local Rodeo Grounds or Junior College or whatever kind of convention, it really was a coming together of the community. It was the, you know, calling all nerds kind of an experience. And you had everybody showing up in, you know, their costume and they're their bringing all their minis that they'd painted and, and and it was very much like look there's only me and my three friends who do this in my high school you know so when we can all get together it was like hey there are more there are more people in the world like us of course now one gaming is a more mainstream hobby but two because we have the internet people can you know listen to say us or people who are way more popular than us and we, you can watch people play board games on, you know, on your TV uh, if you've got all the right connections to get the internet video to your TV. And it's it's very obvious that there are a ton of people who play games now. There's apparently 75,000 who are willing to travel to Indianapolis to well, do... That's like, that's like last year when I was talking about the event. I was playing... I was actually uh, testing Abyss, which was one of the games I came home with. And I was testing it, and all of a sudden I look up and I go, Hey, those are delightful British men over there. I go, Hey, those delightful British men are the guys from Shut Up and Sit Down. Right. And, you know, it was fun. You know, you get to hang out with these guys and, and like, just be gamers together, which is the coolest thing ever. Because you realize that as, as big as we think this hobby is, and how big it feels, especially when you're standing in the middle of the dealer hall at, at Gen Con. It feels like this hobby is so huge, and you realize it really isn't. There really isn't this global megacorp of, <laughs> of hobby gamers. We're just a bunch of people who are super passionate about this. And you know, the, anytime you give us one place and one time to get together... That's gonna be a fun time. Well, it, it is. Uh, I'm sure gonna be a fun time for you uh, because you'll have a roof over your head. Yes, I, I don't will. know about everybody else. Uh, you know what, folks? There's a lot of conventions out there, and I get it. You want to buy all the new cool stuff? Good on you. That's great. But I'll tell you what: check out your local conventions if you want to get together and play, because that's where the gaming happens. Is these local? You know, it's not. 50,000 people, it's maybe 10,000 people. And, you know, these are the kind of places that have maybe game libraries, or people are just bringing their own games, and you literally just start playing, and 96 hours later, you close up your last game and pass out. (laughs) You know, for me, that's the kind of convention I want to go to. We've talked a lot about, in the past years, our local convention's called KublaCon. I will... I think be there again this year. I'm 
pretty sure. Just waiting on babysitters. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, it's... Uh, I go because you get to have gaming experiences that you just can't have anywhere else. But I totally... I get it. I, I you know... Uh, I've been to trade conventions before, uh, back when I had a trade. Um, and... Uh, you know, I get it. People do it for good reasons, and and that's fun and all. But I I I have to say I'm sort of befuddled by just the mass number of people who are clamoring, going through, you know, all of this difficulty to get to Gen Con. Now I get why you're going to Gen Con. We kind of have this thing that's like a ministry to like gamers, and they kind of want you know it's kind of the biggest con in the country. <laughs> But uh, I, I have to, I have to say, it's you know, I went to Comic Con twenty years ago because I from Southern California, and it was awesome. You walk in and there was a bunch of nerds and cool stuff, and you could buy cool stuff and you could do cool stuff and you could meet cool people. I went to Comic Con like ten years ago and it wasn't. It was just lines. Lots and lots of lines. It wasn't fun anymore. And uh, so for me, I just, I, I you know, it, I'm sure there are people out there who are listening right now saying, should I go to Gen Con? And of course you should, so you could hang out with Mike. At, at a bare minimum, you should, go, you should go to Gen Con once. Now, I, I went with people this past year who straight up told me, they're like, yep, I'm not doing that again. It wasn't for them. But at the same point, I think you should do it at least once because you need to, like, see, just experience that dealer hall and experience the waves of humanity because it it makes you realize that we're a part of this growing thing, this organism that is hobby gaming. And and I like, as much as I, I want to get to the, the other cons because I want to be able to do more playing than than chatting and dodging other humanity... I I the feeling of being at Gen Con is downright electric and it should be experienced at least once. That being said, uh one of the the talks that I've already had with my wife about things that we want to do like when Inroad starts really getting off the ground is starting to go to BGG Con because that's in Dallas and we've got friends there and so she might actually come with me. How crazy is that? So ideally, you know, sooner rather than later we might it might see people at BGG Con as well. Well, you know, I don't know uh, if folks have ever had the opportunity uh, as a believer to do something a little bit like Gen Con. Uh, as a pastor, I, I went to a lot of these kind of events. But there are also, uh, nowadays especially, more and more camp-type events that uh, that go along the same sort of lines. Um you know, people maybe go to stadium events, things like that. And, you know, there is a certain degree of of awesomeness to showing up with 100,000 people and realizing, hey, we all have something in common. We're all here for the same reason. We're all here for the same reason. But, you know, it's the same sort of situation where that's fun to do every now and again. But we also try to cultivate that at home. You know, we, uh, everything this ministry is about is about, you know, building gaming groups and playing with the people that you know and love and, and spend time with. Uh, 
and you know the I I know that there are uh, lots of folks all around the country who do uh, essentially private gaming conventions, and it, you you do them all the time. You do your mm-hmm. twenty four hours of gaming, or your forty eight hours of gaming, or your gaming weekend, or or, or whatever. And I think that's an awesome idea. The if you have a community, enough people to get together and say, we are going to spend X amount of time and just dive deep into this hobby in the same way that you know you go to camp and you dive deep into your faith for a few days in a way that that it's just not practical to do on a day-to-day basis and you find yourself able to build deeper relationships maybe experience hear god in a way that you don't typically hear god and maybe uh meet somebody that you wouldn't typically meet you know maybe when you're half sleep deprived and confused uh, the, the spirit will speak to you in a way that he doesn't normally uh and uh, have these really positive experiences you know i'm uh uh, one of my other hobbies, if you will, is to hike and to camp and to hunt. And uh, it's one of those similar things where you're out there and day one, it's like, hey, yeah, we're buddies. Yeah, let's go. Let's have fun. But I've never been in a place where by day three, you're not having like the deepest level conversations with the guys you're with when you're out in the backwoods. It just it's natural. It's it's almost as if, you know, we were designed to have these kind of conversations. Now, I don't know what it's like to go to the largest gaming convention in the country and try to do ministry. That's, you know, your gig. But I bet that somewhere in there, uh, there'll be a chance to grab a few relationships to have conversations that you wouldn't normally get to have. And maybe it'll be because you're, you know, got an Inroads regular sticker on or because uh, you're hanging out at a booth. Yeah, I, I'm i I'm so looking forward to seeing people that have emailed and said they're going to be at Gen Con and they can't wait to see me. There were a couple of people. I, it was even exciting last year. Last year was the first big push, like, we're here as Inroads at, at Gen Con. And it was really funny because there were people come up and it's like, oh yeah, I love your podcast, or oh, are you Mike? Because I've been listening to, I've been watching and reading and you know just getting into what you guys are doing. I'm really excited about it. I'm like, you know, that's really kind of awesome. And I, I it, it was recently on an interview that somebody asked like, like how do you get in touch with people? Everything. I do everything. I will do every type of fa- of social media in existence. I answer every email that comes into my path. If you send me something, I will say hi because that I I love the people. I I love the games. I absolutely love the games. And, and as it's I mean like as it stood, we were talking about, you know, talking about XCOM and the fact that it came out and the fact that I don't own it yet is driving me nuts. But in the end, it's I would rather not buy another new game the rest of my life as long as I have people that are constantly playing the games that I have I will still call that a win Amen to that I answered the same question by the way Oh yeah? How do you interact with your listeners and I said I let Mike do it (laughs) (laughs) I go off into the woods and occasionally somebody will stop by and say don't I know you from that thing? (laughs) Uh, 
in fact, you know, it's, but when that happens, I guess every once in a while I will have somebody say, hey, are you Luke from, are you Luke? And it's like, yes, do you have papers you're giving me? What, why, why, why do you know me? I don't, and I've been podcasting for like 10 years, so. Yeah. Uh, I'll still have situations like that. But folks, if you want to connect with, let's be honest here, Mike, <laughs> uh, you can do it in all kinds of ways. The best way, the way you don't have to write anything down, the way I won't say anything incorrectly, is just to go to inroadsministries.com slash contact. All of the information is there. You'll find out how to get to the Tavern, a amazing internet community that is uh, surprisingly a lot bigger than I thought it was. Oh I yeah, we've looked, got people coming into the tavern left, right, and sideways these days. Uh, yeah, because I, uh, I again, I, I don't do the whole you know social media thing very well. I'm kind of a moron when it comes to these things. But I do every, every once in a while log into the Facebook, and I was surprised by how active and how full uh, the tavern is getting. We're gonna have to build like a second story or something to uh, to hang out with all these folks. You can find out about all of the things we're doing. We have articles at Inroads. Uh, we have 93 other episodes of Game Store Profits. That oh, you can I'm so excited to. for episode 100. It's coming. It's it going to happen soon. It cometh. And we are bringing together all of our friends and compatriots who have been here along the way in one way or another to uh, be part of that episode. We want you to consider being part of that episode as well. We'll get you more information on that as we get a little bit closer to episode 100. We're still a couple of months out, but six more episodes. We are getting there. And so, Mike, do we have anything else that I have forgotten? Uh, as far as I know, I think we're good. So then in there, it only comes down to saying that, remember, God is the Game Master. No matter how the dice fall, the game plays on.